So ladies, that's for you. So if you want to sign up for the IF gathering, you can do that right outside in the foyer. I tried to sign up, and they marked my name off the list. So I don't know what's happening here. Uh, you think, hey, being the pastor, you have a little pull, right? Nope. So take your Bibles this morning, Galatians chapter 6. We're in the midst of a teaching series called Fighting for Love. Here's what we have done over the last few weeks. Number one, we talked about how to fight to love the person you're married to or going to be married to. Believe it or not, I don't know if you know this, the happily ever after doesn't always last. Agreed? There's going to be a moment where you wake up and look at the other person and say, they're as messed up as I am. So you have to learn to fight to love that other person. And we talked through that. Then we dealt with how to fight to love children. Now, I'm not talking about just the children in your home. You may be a grandparent. You may be an empty nester. You may never want to have a kid whatsoever. But here's the deal. As the church, we're called to fight to love them, to demonstrate the gospel to them and love them no matter what and express kindness and joy and the peace of God to them. Then we transitioned a little bit because the first two dealt with more of what we're dealing with in our homes. Then we kind of moved towards culture about loving people who are difficult. Now, you all have difficult people in your life that you're called to love, all right? If you do not have someone who's difficult to love in your life, then you're that difficult person, all right? Learn to love yourself. Last week, we transitioned a little bit, and we, not a little bit, a lot, and we talked about how to love the LBGTQ plus community and what that looks like as a church. Now, after that message, I slept four hours. I'm not going to kid you not, because you always want to say the right thing in the right way when you're standing up here, right? Now, this week, we move into a topic that's, uh, it's really our last topic in this series, but it is a topic that impacts everyone. And it's how to love people who believe differently than you politically. There is no other subject. Maybe last week is a close second. But I believe there's no other subject in America today that tears into the church and causes divisiveness in our culture more so than politics. It's something you deal with, something that I deal with, it's something we have to think through. And the thing is, it's perpetuated by everything. The talking heads on TV, the 24-hour news cycle, the pundits that we hear about, the ads we see on TV, and the million text messages you got in the month of November, right? How in the world do you love someone that you vehemently disagree with in the sense that it has such an impact in the country that we live in? Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my struggle with that because as a person who was born in a family with civil servants, those who work for the government, those who served overseas, and yet at the same time call themselves Christian, it is a tension or a tightrope that we're called to walk as believers and as the church in loving our country, but yet elevating Jesus. And at the same time, the policies and practices of other people always seem to come to mind in all of our minds as we walk to the voting box and as we walk into the church house every week, right? How do you love these people? How do we love each other? And the thing about River Hills that I love, we are blessed with people on not just opposite sides of the political spectrum that call us home, because if you think there's only two, you're wrong. There's about 30. And they're all over the place, all united together in Christ. Years ago, I don't remember if any of you guys remember this, but I don't, know if they, I don't even know if they still do this more. There was this thing called See You at the Poll Rally. Do y'all remember that? And some of you students may have no idea what that is, but it was a movement that happened really in the 80s and 90s. And if at your local high school or middle school, you were to meet before school started, gather around the, the flagpole, hold hands, and pray. 
That's what you did, to see you at the poll rally. And then that night, you would have a huge youth uh, rally or a youth revival service or just a time to come together and celebrate all that God had done. Well, we were in rural Louisiana. And while we were there, uh, I got asked to speak at a youth rally, a see you at the poll youth rally that evening. Now, follow me so far. Because rural Louisiana is a different world. You almost need a passport, all right? And we served there for about five or six years and loved the people there. But I was 20-something years old, so I could still relate to people who were in their teens. They asked me to come and speak. And as I'm sitting there, all the typical 80s and 90s youth stuff happened. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right, Rob? Is that, you know, you had the songs, you had the skits. And if you were really cutting edge back then, you put black lights on front of the stage and put white gloves on and turned all the lights out and did this thing right here. The movements was, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We don't do that at River Hills. It is forbidden. You get what I'm saying? We ain't doing that. All that being said is that the whole youth rally happened, and then I'm sitting there watching the church skit that these kids had worked on for months. They made a big deal out of it. And so as I'm sitting there on stage, walks out a bunch of kids, they set a flag down, and they reenact to see you at the pole moment the morning before. You follow me so far? They hold hands, they start to pray, and all of a sudden the lights go out in the church. Ropes come off the balcony. I'm not kidding. People rappel down the ropes from the balcony in the church. People have ski masks on. They're running through the church, and they're shooting guns in the air. Now, for a Georgia boy, that's unusual. For Louisiana, that's Tuesday, all right? It freaked me out. Now, this was all part of the skit. I didn't know it because I was under the pew, all right? People are going crazy. Kids are walking up and down the aisle with paintball guns, pop, 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 and I'm just going, what is happening? What is going on? And so the skit went on. The terrorists came up, and they captured the kids, and there was no more see you at the pole. And then the next scene, they're in the cafeteria. They walk around with their paintball goods, force some kids to eat. And then the final scene was all the kids gathered around the, paint, around the flagpole again praying, amen, you're done, Chip, it's time to preach. And it was a horrible sermon. Totally got me off guard. And I left there asking this question, straight up. I asked this question. I was like, was that more about the United States or about Jesus? I don't know. And as a person who is incredibly patriotic and tries to love Jesus with all of his might, there's a conflict here. And there's a conflict for you too, right? How do the two coexist? And not only that, where are the priorities here? Where do we place ourselves? Look, I love living where I live. I've, been, I've had the opportunity to go overseas in a lot of different countries. And no matter how bad we think we got it, we got it good. Our mission team just got back from Cuba a few weeks ago. And guys, the restrictions on the local church there is that once you get to a certain size, you better not grow any further because the government will then shut you down. In China right now, they're having to hide in closets and apartment buildings that have 20 to 30,000 people per apartment building. And they're sitting there having Bible study and the church is flourishing. Here, we get to stay in and skip church every three weeks, man. So... How do we weigh out the tension of being patriotic and loving Jesus? And maybe the better question is, when we have our stance and we know what we believe and we believe so passionately, how do we love those who disagree completely? Because what we've been trained to do is to hate, demoralize, demonize those who would be on the other side. Y'all with me on this? Do y'all sense this too? So we're going to deal with some awkward stuff this morning, but here's what I want to do first. I want to walk through four convictions 
this church has about politics and about government. And I say this with fear and trembling because I get asked my opinion all the time. And I, I, I'm a pastor, and that's just going to happen. I was not prepared for that when I went in the ministry. Uh, but all the time I get asked my opinion, and specifically on politics. And I very rarely, 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 rarely ever tell anybody. Because my job is to herald the gospel. And I don't want anything political to get in the way of you knowing Jesus. And our job at church is to herald the gospel. And we won't, don't want anything getting in the way of people knowing Christ. So whether you're Republican or Democrat, Independent or Libertarian, whether you voted for Dolly Parton or Joe Biden, that was a movement, by the way. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is your home. But how do we love each other? How do we love people outside of these walls in the midst of all that? Four convictions we have. Number one, Christ is king and we are his citizens. First and foremost, to elevate whether you're Canadian, whether you're Russian, whether you're, whether you're French, whether you're Zambian, whether you're Peruvian, whether you're American, no matter where you are, if you know Jesus, your citizenship first and foremost lies in the, heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, period. You are a child of God. When all nations cease to exist and Christ comes back, here's the deal. Name but one, and that's Christ. You with me? Notice what happens in Philippians chapter 3. Get this. It says, but our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from, the, from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. So beautiful here is simply saying this is that if you know Jesus first and foremost to put anything or elevate anyone or any country above him is idolatry. And, for, and you, you and I have to understand that Christ will put everything under his control. That is a beautiful hope for us because if there's anything that unites all Americans is this. We all disagree about how things are going, right? We're all discontent. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that he makes all things right. Conviction number two. We wait for his kingdom come. As a church, as an individual, we understand that we live in one kingdom that is very fallible, but Christ is bringing a kingdom, kingdom that is perfect and he's making all things right. That's something that's, that's immensely important to us because as a Christian, my call is to be in the public square and initiate change, and yours is too. Did you know that? Some of you are very much specifically called to politics and the government, and we pray for you, we encourage you, and we want you to implement change. But we know that no matter what, change will never affect perfection in this day and age. We wait for Christ. Psalms, notice what happens, 26, 27, verse 13 and 14. I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He is coming. His kingdom will be perfect. We are a people of two kingdoms, an imperfect one and one that it is to come, right? Therefore, we wait. Years ago, at an adult see you at the poll rally, I was asked to introduce the keynote speaker who was a politician. So I stand up, I pray, I say a few passages of scripture, I encourage and I introduce the keynote speaker. He stands up, and I'll never forget this. He says, one day, if we vote right, we will have a society where we can leave our doors unlocked again, where there will be no crime, where everybody will get along. Basically, he's describing Mayberry. There's never been a Mayberry except on Channel 17 when I was a little kid. It's not happening. Why? Because at, at our roots, people are incredibly sinful and selfish. 
unless Christ does the changing. You get this? We wait for his kingdom come. And while we wait, our role, conviction number three, is to serve the Lord. Our, convic- our conviction at this church is to serve the Lord. And by serving others and submitting to authority, we serve him. Notice what happens in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent, sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will, get this, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's what? Servants. So important that we get that. Is that our role is to serve. Now, interestingly enough, is that we're to go into the public square. But at times, the public square seeps into the church. It's going to happen. It's not perfect. So we have to maintain this perspective Christ is our king he is first we're called to serve him and by serving others we're serving him conviction number four most important one we are in the world but not of the world what does this mean Jesus made this proclamation in the high priestly prayer right before he's crucified he prays and in one part of his prayer in John chapter 17 it says this I love, I love how he articulates this. He says, I have given them, meaning us, your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that, they, that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And get what happens. They are not of, meaning you and me, the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What is he saying here? Is that while we live here, our true citizenship is there with him. But while we stay, we serve. We minister. And we stay away from corruption. You follow me so far? There's all our four convictions. But how do we live in these two kingdoms? How do we live in a, in a, in a world where the policies and the, and the practices, the procedures, and the politicians possibly or others who stand on the opposite ends of the spectrum affect us so deeply. How do we love them? How do we fight to love them as Christ loved them? Dr. Cornell West and Dr. Robert George are cultural philosophers. I don't know what that is. I want to be that because they just come up with stuff all the time. I mean, I, when I was in college, guys that majored in philosophy would always go up to them and said, look, when I come see you, make sure you upsize my french fries because there's, some of y'all will get that later. Philosophy is not one of those places. You don't go to college and go, I want to be a philosopher. <laughs> you want to be broke. All right. So, but these guys are cultural philosophers. They're uber smart, and they stand on the opposite sides of the political spectrum. One guy is uber liberal. One guy is uber, uber conservative, yet they're best friends. They hang out with each other. Their families do things with each other. And so they interviewed them and said, how do you guys not allow the things that you disagree with keep you from not being friends? How do you guys maintain this relationship? And this is what they said. I love this. He said, we have chosen to love each other first and allow our quest for the truth in a fallible world work itself out. Isn't that good? Chosen to love first. The problem is we shoot first and ask questions later. Right? So how do we love? Galatians chapter 6 calls us to do that. And we're going to label these. This is not 
the title of this passage in Scripture as you'll read that in your own copy of God's Word. But we're going to call these the laws of planting. And what you and I are called to plant, spiritually speaking, in the world that disagrees with us. The world that disagrees with you. A plant among each other and a plant outside of these walls. You follow me so far? So notice what happens. It says this, starting in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, anytime you ever see that in Scripture, that means the body of Christ. That means the church. That means that you and I are to be in a position to where um, in that body, that in that church context, that we're to love each other. This is a commandment for you and I. Brothers and sisters. Now get what happens next. If someone is caught in their sin, in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. What does that say? Gently. Now, understand what's happening here. There are two words you need to grab hold of. Number one, somebody's done something wrong. The role of a believer is to restore them, which means you mend them back to where they need to be. So this applies to those in your family, those in this church, those outside of these walls. As the church, we want to mend them like a fisherman mends a net or the other word picture as somebody resets a bone. And it's not easy and it's sometimes painful, right? But the action step to restore goes with this idea of being gentle, to be, continue to be loving in the midst of that. Then he goes on to say, but watch yourselves so you may also not be tempted. Because here's what happens to me, happens to you, is that when we're dealing with people who do sinful things, meaning anyone, it's easy to be tempted to do what they've done. Have y'all been there? So, give you an example. There are scores of people that I've worked with in this church and outside of this church who know Jesus, who have had a difficult time getting over drug addiction. And many times they work with that demographic after they've come clean. And I've known many people who love Jesus, have great intentions, and want to serve others, work with these people, but then are tempted and fall back into that lifestyle, and we have to go back and get them again. Doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. It means they fell into temptation. And so we have to watch ourselves in the midst of that. Y'all follow me so far? Now keep reading. If anyone, uh, or verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and this is the way you fulfill the law of Christ. Goes on. That's what Christ does for us, right? He carries our burdens. He forgives our sins. The Bible says in Matthew that take your, let me take your burdens from you and you take my yoke upon you and you will find peace. And it keeps on going. If anyone thinks they are something, now this is words to live by, especially in the realm of politics. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Y'all ever had that problem before? Well, I think I got this right. Or I definitely got this right. And then you're proven wrong. Y'all been there? Keep rolling. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. Now, there are about 18 sermons in this text. But have you ever done something and compared yourself to someone else? Everybody say yes, you have, right? Every December, I start working on my before picture. Y'all been there? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We constantly compare. Keep rolling. For, one should, 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 for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their, with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, I want to understand between reaping and sowing. Do not confuse this with the idea of karma, all right? Karma is not of God. Reaping and sowing is. What's the difference? Reaping means you're planting something to see God produce fruit from it. 
Karma means you did something and therefore you deserve good or bad from it, right? Reaping is the sowing is the gospel. Karma is works. Keep reading. Whoever sows to please the flesh, what's going to happen? From the flesh you will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please God or the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap what? Eternal life. Those are all good things, right? That last part. And then it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, this is the most important one as it pertains to the subject. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's it. Now, what are the laws? Well, law number one, plant grace in and toward others. You go back to verse one. Is it someone falls into sin? You restore them what? Gently. Go to verse two. Carry each other's burdens, just like Christ has carried ours. And when we're dealing with people who believe so differently than us, give them the grace that you would want to receive back plant it toward them but also plant the hope of Jesus in them meaning that whether they know Jesus or not our truest hope for everything to be made right is in Christ you with me so you plant grace toward them and in them law number two you plant truth you plant truth notice what verse two says again you carry each other's burdens and in this you fulfill the law of Christ you don't compromise truth but you do communicate it in a way that's loving the church unfortunately in many many eras of history has done a bad job of doing that instead of gently restoring someone in truth we look at them and say well I can't believe you've done this I want to shame you I want to tell you where you're going and you better get your life right out of fear you're going to hell that's not the gospel the gospel is the plant that we are all separated from God and we need redemption through Jesus. And when he comes into your life, you have total forgiveness for what you've done, do, and will do. And he's in process of changing you. That's the hope. See, the safest place that we can provide for people is a place that does not compromise truth and yet at the same time is relentlessly compassionate. You follow that? And I think that applies to every, every life stage or lifestyle or to political ideology. The safest place is don't compromise truth, but relentlessly pursue them with compassion. Law number three, Galatians chapter six, verse three. Notice what it says. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Plant humility. Here's the deal. Humility, humility disengages a lot of violence does it not when we're humble about something we're more likely to be listened to so when we're conveying our ideas when we're conveying what we think or what we believe do so humbly because there's been times guess what come in close on this I know you don't believe this but come in real for real you and I have been wrong before probably today if you're not sure ask your wife plant humility number four Galatians chapter six verse four each one should test their own actions here's the deal 
plant knowledge and objectivity. Plant knowledge and know why you believe what you believe and be objective enough to filter it through Scripture. And unfortunately, whether it's, 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 it's subjects of doctrine, Scripture, or even political ideology, most of us don't know why we believe what we believe. And I want to challenge you in your pursuit of the Lord, know why you believe what you believe via Scripture. Filter it through Scripture and godly leadership. Understand that we're called to do that. Let me give you a personal illustration. Now, some of you are going to be like, what is why I talk about this? But hang with me for a second. Because this, we've got people from different perspectives on this hot-button topic that I'm about to talk about. But I'm not stupid enough. Most of you guys, listen, let's just be real with each other. Let's let our hair down. If I could let my hair down. Let's let our hair down for a second. Most of you voted Republican. I get that. That's fine. I'm not going to tell you what I voted because it's none of your business. And, and that was a joke, but it really isn't. Um, and I want you to understand that, is that people can be Christians and believe differently politically. Y'all know that, right? When I was growing up, not because of my parents, not because of the church I attended, because they believed differently, I decided that I was a person who believed in pro-choice. That's what I thought. That's what I believed. I went through high school thinking this. I went through... Uh, yeah, probably high school, 18, 19, I began to change my views, but it's something I thought of. I thought people have the choice. We live in America. We're free. We should be able to make these choices on our own because we have the right to. That's what I believed. Hang with me. As I began to think about what a baby is, when a person has life and when a person has rights, I began to make, ask the question, well, when does the baby have a right? When does the baby have a decision or a say in this situation? Then God got a hold of my life and began to work in me, and I read Psalm 139, where it says, We are knit together in our womb before we were even born, and how God values all life. And so what my perspective was, pro-choice, gradually flipped to pro-life. Are you following me on that? Now, why do I tell you that story? It's because of why I thought through that and have a rational explanation Biblically, and I think even logically, for me, it came to a position to where that when I dealt with in my own ministry with people who have made those mistakes, I can engage them and relate to them with compassion rather than judgment. And when we understand and have the objectivity, I'm not saying don't believe what you believe. I'm saying understand why. We're able to relate rather than to react. And there's a profound difference there, right, guys? That means we have to understand what Scripture says and give the reason why. And God worked in my life in a mighty way, and I've seen him work through our ministries in Louisiana and in Georgia in amazing ways with people who've walked through that and the horrible stuff that it causes. But being able to apply the gospel. And I'm not going to say it 100% of my views. I understand. I, I, I react that way, but I am saying on that one. God has worked. So plant knowledge and objectivity. Law number five. Plant kindness and love anyway. Well, what does this mean? Let's just deal with verse 10 because we're running out of time. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to what? What's that little word there? Let us do good to what? 
Okay, that doesn't mean the people you just agree with or disagree with. All people. And the point behind that is this, is that we plant kindness and love in Jesus' name even, even when they're not kind, even when we disagree. We open up the dialogue and we share Christ. But here's the problem. This is an electrical issue in a time where there's a lot of conductors, even in the church, right? How do we deal with something that we so passionately disagree with? How do we love others when we so passionately disagree with them? How do we begin to walk this landscape? And I would encourage you on something. A lot of the reason we have a hard time with it is because it's a spiritual issue. And when we look to Jesus, how he walked that landscape, even in that realm, he, there were four very powerful political parties in the day and age of Christ. And he, hit the, he did a great job of offending everybody. <laughs> it's walking in the Jesus way. It's understanding the warning signs in our life of whether we're more committed to the gospel or more committed to our politics. Murray Campbell is a pastor in Australia. He has a unique perspective on this because in many ways the government of Australia is like the United States. In many ways it's not. But typically in the history of Australia, the government has said, the church, you do you and we'll do us. We don't mix, we don't talk about, we're going to ignore you completely. But over the last couple of decades the church has progressed and they begin to speak in, or not the church the, the, uh, the government has progressed and they begin to speak into the church saying you can only preach on certain things you can only do certain things and now the church is trying to figure out how do we do church in a new world here in Australia and Murray Campbell has an interesting way of putting it as a pastor there who faces this every day now look as your pastor in this community in this county in this state in this nation we don't have to worry about that at all right at all it's like i said before you know we had a mission team in cuba and they can't plant a church larger than 150 people or else the government's going to shut it down in china right now i said this already is that they're they're gathered in rooms today worshiping because they could go to jail and in different islamic countries they're gathering in caves right now because they could be killed you're blessed and i'm blessed right never take this freedom for granted praise god for it now let's use that to express the gospel all over the world now that being said we got to understand no government can overthrow christianity why is that because the bible says that upon the rock of the gospel christ will build the church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it that's what scripture says so we know that this is never going to end that's something to celebrate right church Number two, we can always be certain that when the church goes through hard times from persecution, that that church always flourishes. There's a reason why church attendance is declining in America, but in third world areas or Islamic countries is gaining momentum and growing. Interesting, isn't it? Now, Campbell says there are five warning signs we need to check ourselves with. I have stolen this for him. This is not out of Chip's head, but I think it's relevant, okay? Warning sign number one, if our politics are more important than our gospel— do I spend more time signing petition slash making posts than I do praying for my government? How do we pray for our government? We're doing a podcast on that tomorrow morning. Make sure you check that out. But do we spend more time signing petitions or making posts than praying? Number two, do I only criticize one side of the political spectrum? Do I only, Most of us will say, well, yeah. Is that the Jesus way? Number three, do people get the impression from me that belonging to my church means aligning with a certain political party? That's scary, isn't it? 
Number four, do I have more passion for a political party than I do for the local church and their mission? That's the one that hits me, right? Number five, am I putting my hope and security in political elections or leaders or platforms rather than the gospel? So in my own life, as I read things, as I watch things, as I hear things, as I vote for things, this is a great filter for me to make sure my hope is not built on my government or my politics, but it's built upon the rock of Christ. And so here's how I want to end this series this morning. We've been talking about fighting for love and how to love others. And some of the people we've challenged you to love are challenging to love but I want you to understand something that there is a God that fights to love you there is a Christ there is a Jesus who says I'm going to fight to love you and all your indifferences and all your apathy and all your anger and all of your shortcomings I fight to love you I fight so much that I take the punishment that you and I deserve because of the things we do wrong we call it sin by dying on the cross and then I'm going to continue to fight by giving you eternal life by rising from the dead. And here's the point in that. Is the God that fights to love you, is the God that dies for you, the God that lives within you, and the God that empowers you to love other people. You with me? And that is the only way we're able to love others. And some of you desperately want to love people, but real love from a Christ perspective can't happen until you know Jesus. And you ask him to come into your life. And knowing Christ is as simple as A, B, and C. Admit you're separated from God because of sin. Believe that Jesus Christ is God. He died on the cross to take the punishment you deserve and rose from the dead. And C, confess him. Ask him to come into your life. And if that's you this morning, take the step of faith by knowing him and acknowledging him. You can do it in three ways. One, on your connect card, there's a box that says, Today I need Jesus. Two, you can text in the phrase, I need Jesus, to the number on the screen. Or three, I'm going to be standing over here on my left, and if you need Christ, I'd love to talk to you. But take the steps of faith. And as we choose to fight for love, we fight for it in the name of Christ. You with me on that? I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. The band's going to come up. And as I pray, I'll say amen. And if you need Jesus, make your way over to me. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Christ. But if you want to pray for our nation, if you want to pray for our leaders, even those you disagree with, I want to give you an opportunity to come up to this platform, to this altar, and kneel down and pray for them and ask God to move in their lives. For some of us, that's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? But it's what Christ has called us to do. Whether we agree or disagree, the mandate stays the same. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And God, in these moments, change us, radically overwhelm us, and fill us with your presence. Strengthen us guide us and direct us and lord as we fight to love i pray father we would maintain an understanding of who you are and what you do jesus you are good to us you are better than we deserve you give us life and you give us hope so god may we choose to love others above ourselves may we choose to love others through the person of christ may we choose to love you god and therefore be empowered to love god thank you for loving us first Thank you for hope, and thank you for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.